Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Come Follow Me Today, a brief message to help us experience an additional spiritual moment in our otherwise complicated lives. My name is Caleb Sanford, and thank you for joining me as we accept Christ's invitation to follow him today. For those of you new to the show, we're studying the Book of Mormon together this year, loosely following the study curriculum of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And today we're going to be in Alma chapters 24 and 27, finishing our discussion about the anti-Nephi-Lehi's. If you didn't listen to part one of this episode, feel free to hit pause and go back and listen to that episode first. All right. Well, before we get into the message of the day, in the last episode, I committed to try to get an answer about what the name anti-Nephi-Lehi means. Well, I actually have four answers, since there doesn't appear to be an official explanation. First, as podcast listener Josh Keller wrote to me, the sound anti has Egyptian roots meaning, quote, that which is. So that could leave us with a meaning of anti-Nephi-Lehi's as something like, quote, those of Nephi-Lehi, which kind of makes sense. Second, as suggested by my wife's great uncle, David H. Ludlow, in a book he wrote in 1969 called A Companion to Your Study of the Book of Mormon, anti in Hebrew can mean facing or facing Nephi-Lehi. And the Greek word that results in anti as the translation can mean representing or simulating. So after some serious language jujitsu, you're left with, quote, those who imitate the teachings of the descendants of Nephi and Lehi, as a possible meaning for anti-Nephi-Lehi's. Third, as Hugh Nibley suggested once, anti may come from an Arabic word meaning opposite, giving us something like, quote, the descendants of Lehi, sorry, the descendants of Lehi opposed to Nephi, meaning these people are descendants of Laman and Lemuel who were opposed to Nephi. And fourth, apparently someone has claimed that there's an old Indian word that includes anti that means, quote, a mountain region in the land of Nephi and in the land of Lehi. Well, I'm not sure we're any closer to understanding this, but I'm going to put the link to the byu.edu webpage I got all this from in the show notes, so you could go down this rabbit hole on your own if you want to. All right, so back to business now. In the last episode, we read how the anti-Nephi-Lehi's had made the decision to bury their weapons to ensure they were never again tempted to pick them up to harm their brethren. They had just received a remission of their past sins, and did not want to even risk arriving to God after this life and have any more blood on their hands. They were even willing to allow themselves to be killed by the Lamanites rather than pick up their weapons to defend themselves. Quote, And thus we see that when these Lamanites were brought to believe and to know the truth, they were firm, and would suffer even unto death rather than commit sin. And thus we see that they buried their weapons of war for peace. End quote. Well, They didn't have to wait long. The Amalekites and Amulonites, the real bad guy clans of the Lamanites, stirred up the rest of the nation to anger against the anti-Nephi-Lehi's and came down with their armies to destroy them. But rather than try to retrieve their buried weapons and defend themselves, true to their covenant with God, they knelt down and began praying to God instead of fighting back. Well, it was a massacre. The Lamanites killed a thousand five of the anti-Nephi-Lehi's. In what must have been the most tragic event that Ammon had ever witnessed, similar to when Alma and Amulek were forced to watch their believers burned alive for their faith. But then something curious happens. Quote, Now when the Lamanites saw that their brethren would not flee from the sword, 
neither would they turn aside to the right hand or to the left, but that they would lie down and perish, and praise God even in the very act of perishing under the sword. Now when the Lamanites saw this, they did forbear from slaying them. And there were many whose hearts had swollen in them for those of their brethren who had fallen under the sword, for they repented of the things which they had done. And it came to pass that they threw down their weapons of war and would not take them again, for they were stung for the murders which they had committed. And they came down even as their brethren, relying upon the mercies of those whose arms were lifted to slay them. End quote. The faith and commitment of the anti-Nephi-Lehi's touched the hearts of some of these Lamanites. You might say these Lamanites had a profound spiritual experience as a result of slaying their brethren. I'm sure it was a terrible feeling, not like the warm, fuzzy spiritual experiences you and I try to pursue every day. But at that moment, they felt God's love for his children. Quote, And it came to pass that the people of God were joined that day by more than the number who had been slain. There were more than a thousand brought to the knowledge of the truth. Thus we see that the Lord worketh in many ways to the salvation of his people. End quote. There's a critical lesson for us to learn here. Remember we learn in the book of Moses about God that, quote, This is my work and my glory, to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. End quote. Heavenly Father is not striving to make all our lives easy. He's working every day to make sure as many of his children as possible receive eternal life and come back to live in his presence again. In the case of this story, God allowed a terrible event to transpire, the killing of a thousand of his most de devoted disciples. Why? Because it brought even more of his children back to him. If he would have stopped this battle, he would have saved the lives, the lives of a thousand five of his children. But by allowing the massacre to happen, he secured the souls of not only the thousand five that died, but of even more of the Lamanites who then repented and joined the anti-Nephi-Lehi's. So for you and I, as we wade through our own challenges, tribulations, pain, and loss, we can perhaps find hope in the fact that our trials may be designed to help build our faith. Or, as we learned in this story, it's quite possible that Heavenly Father is allowing our difficulties to occur so that others around us, like our children, our neighbors, or our fellow church members, have the converting experience they need to change their lives and follow Jesus Christ. Quote, the Lord worketh in many ways to the salvation of his people. We're likely never going to fully understand why God does the things he does until we return to him and get to ask our questions. But I pray that we'll at least have the faith to believe that God is using our suffering to either bring us closer to him or to bring someone near to us back to his presence also. Let's also keep in mind that like the anti-Nephi-Lehi's, if we can remember to pray to God, help those around us, and always keep Christ in the center of our lives, eventually Heavenly Father will lead us to the promised land. Thank you for listening today as we continue to strive to accept our Savior's invitation to follow Him today, even when we're experiencing trials and hard times in our lives. Perhaps at the last day, we'll finally understand whose faith was strengthened as a result of the challenges we face. See you next time.